Hi, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com. I'm Jonathan, editor for Concrete Contractor magazine. Today, we're speaking with Rick Bohan, Vice President of Sustainability for the Portland Cement Association, about some new ideas in green concrete and why Facebook has turned its sights onto concrete in the first place. Okay, so we're talking today about some recent news, uh, and we're going to touch on some investments into lower carbon concrete. And we're joined with uh, Rick Bohan of Portland Cement Association. How are you doing, Rick? Hey, it's great to see you again, Jonathan. I'm doing great. Thank you. Before we get into the investments and the, the, the pretty big news that's coming out, um, one thing I wanted to ask about is the availability of Portland limestone cement. Um, one of the news pieces that came out recently uh, talks about 95% of the cement produced today is ordinary Portland cement. And I hear that PLC is kind of getting PLC is kind of a challenge. Um, how is the move towards PLC right now? Okay, so I'm gonna correct you. Firstly, I don't think there's any such thing as ordinary Portland cement. I like to call it traditional. Portland cement is not ordinary because it's the universal uh, ingredient for concrete. So I'll, I'll start there. But anyway, yeah, what we're seeing is a really dramatic uh, shift in the market towards Portland limestone cement. No question about it. Um, I would say conservatively, more than half of the PCA members are now producing Portland limestone cements. In some cases, that is their, you know, their primary product now. So we've seen in round numbers, the US cement industry represents very roughly about 100 million metric tons. Up until a few years ago, Portland limestone cements were less than 1% of that. We're seeing a dramatic shift to the point that I think we're looking in the next three to five years where Portland limestone cements will actually be well into the double digit percentages. And some people think even further than that. In terms of availability, look, it's a supply and demand issue. What we're seeing is that a lot of states are demanding a shift to lower carbon cements. So that's driving it. We're also seeing a lot of consumers demanding a shift to lower carbon cement. So that's driving it. As that drive continues, um, cement producers in particular, the PCA member companies, they're responding by providing a supply of that material. Um, again, you'll see a lot of press releases where you see not just individual companies, but individual plants shifting wholesale to production of Portland limestone cement. I think this is only going to continue. I think the days of a traditional Portland cement, I'm not going to say they're numbered, but I think we're going to see a, a real radical change here, in, in part because people realize, look, Portland limestone cements can provide the same strength, the same durability, the same quality that they've come to depend on with traditional Portland cements. So as they get a comfort level working with that, I think we're gonna see that change again, continue to accelerate. Supply is not gonna be a problem on this. And, and the reason is simple enough. Limestone is the key ingredient in the cement manufacturing process. So apart from some process changes at the plant, 
by and large, any, any cement manufacturing facility can switch to producing a Portland limestone cement. It's just a question of supply and demand. And again, I see that happening very, very quick. Yeah, uh, more and more press releases come through my inbox and they're like, hey, another plant has changed. Uh, I think just recently, uh, a Minnesota plant or uh, South Dakota plant, it's located in South Dakota, serving Minnesota. Right. Um, and that's that was a big area. Yeah, there are some regions of the country where essentially Portland limestone cements are the singular product that's out there now. Now, that's not to say plants aren't producing other products, but that has become the primary product within that particular region. Again, we're going to see this continue to accelerate. And actually, what's interesting from my standpoint, and in terms of PCA's roadmap to carbon neutrality, is that people are now coming to us and our members and they're saying, okay, well, we know Portland limestone cements can cut the CO2 footprint by at least 10%. What's next? So now we're looking at more blended cements. We're talking about ternary blends where it's uh, not just uh, Portland limestone, or not just limestone, but it's other materials like slag and fly ash, et cetera. We're also talking about, we've, we've started talking internally about a type 1Q, a type IQ cement, where it's a quaternary blend, where you have four. And actually, why stop there? Because if you think about it, clinker is the main ingredient in traditional Portland cement, right? Mm -hmm. So as you replace that clinker, or as you cut that clinker back, You've got to replace it with something. So why stop with just limestone? Why not include slag and fly ash, potentially metakaolin? And uh, there's all sorts of other materials that material scientists are researching. And again, this is good news for our industry and it's good news for the construction industry because these are the lower carbon alternatives that we've been trying to, to get across with our roadmap to carbon neutrality. These are things we've identified in that roadmap. So we're excited about it. One thing I've always been um, curious about is when companies or manufacturers or producers call carbon negative or zero carbon concrete, is do they mean that the material is actually creating zero carbon emissions or is the carbonization quality of concrete just setting, offsetting the emissions created in the production of the cement? Yeah, this is, listen, this is a great question because the terms zero emission and carbon neutrality means so many different things to so many different people. And what I tell people is I really encourage them, when you hear those terms, ask the person exactly what they mean by that. So in my mind, when someone says, carbon neutrality, what they're saying is that whatever carbon emissions are associated with that product or that process, those emissions are offset somehow. Either they're captured, uh, permanently sequestered, something of this nature, but they're offset so that at the end of the day, you don't have a CO2 footprint. Now, real world example. People ask me about carbon neutrality and the cement plants and where we're going to be in 2050. Well, in 2050, we'll still have cement plants. They'll still be generating CO2, but that CO2 will either be captured 
and reused in some other format or stored or permanently sequestered? Or will it trust reductions throughout the entire value chain? So in the cement area, so once you get past the plant in the cement area, new product formulations cutting down the amount of CO2. In the concrete area, new mixes cutting down the amount of CO2. In the construction area, optimizing it so we're using less material and wasting less material, in particular with concrete and other materials. And then finally, the last link of the value chain, carbonation, actually optimizing the concrete structure so it can absorb that CO2 back permanently and ultimately making sure that that concrete structure can become part of a circular economy so that at the end of its life, it's not going to generate CO2. Oh, no, it will go all the way back as a raw material in cement manufacturing or concrete uh, production. So that's what I talk about. That's what I mean when I say carbon neutrality. And I, I'm a little, I get a little concerned because I, th I think some people, they're morphing the terms carbon neutrality, zero carbon, and you even hear negative carbon. So again, I encourage people, ask the person using that term what they mean by that. Now, at PCA, with our roadmap to carbon neutrality, we are completely transparent. So people can go online and they can see exactly what we're talking about, what we mean, what our goals and targets are, what our technologies are, just by reading through the roadmap. If they don't want to go through the 78 pages, they can look at the executive <laughs> summary. Yeah, yeah, that executive summary is a lot more succinct. But yes. there is so much good information in that roadmap that uh, it's a little bit above my head, but I encourage anybody to go through it because I learned a lot. Just yeah, and yeah, and and actually, and I again, we're completely transparent. So I always tell people, look, please call us up, and and we expect people to put us on the spot. We expect people to challenge us. We're ready for it. We want to be challenged because that's our goal. We've put a marker down that in 2050, we will have carbon neutrality. Now, we'd like to get there sooner. And if the government can help us with some policies, we will. But until then, 2050 is our do or die date. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be in this industry right now because there's so many new moves happening, right? Like um, so much more money is being happening and so many new ideas um, one development um, is with actually deals with Facebook and their parent company, Meta. I hope I'm pronouncing that right because I shudder whenever social media and Facebook comes around. But Meta is actually pro partnering with uh, Ozinga um, out of Illinois, Chicago, I believe. Um, what can you tell us about what they're doing? What's what's going on there? Yeah, this is, you know, this is such an interesting project in so many levels. And, you know, if you think about this, from a, from a broader perspective, isn't it ironic that because of our shift to the cloud, we need built infrastructure to support that shift. Yeah. <laughs> and because of our shift to online shopping, we need a built infrastructure to support the terminals, the warehouses, et cetera. And, and by the way, even with the existing building, uh, building stock, what you're seeing more often than not, when you go shopping at a grocery store or a, a retailer, 
you see young kids, you know, with their shopping carts that are doing, they're, they're fulfilling online ordering. Well, so the building stock is actually being remodeled to support that. But anyway, I'm getting off track. So let's talk about Meta and, and AI. So from a really big standpoint, data is king. And we're seeing that again and again, right? So what Meta decided, and, and they've made this commitment way back when, is to reduce our carbon footprint across the board. So in energy consumption, and that includes in their built environment. So as they respond to this shift to the virtual, the virtual world and the need for storage because of the cloud, everybody's shifting to the cloud, they're looking at their data centers asking, well, how can we reduce our carbon footprint of that data center? Well, that's a great question. Well, they're data people. So the answer is, let's use data. So that's exactly what they're doing. Specifically, what they did is they looked at a local ReadyMix uh, producer outside of Chicago. They sat down with them and basically said, look, here's what we need. We would like to have you know, a local material. We'd like to have a particular design strength, right? And we'd like to have this available for Chicago winters so that if the construction season goes into the winter, we have a concrete mix that can support that. Okay, so then that ready mixer realized, well, wait a minute, the University of Illinois at, um, I think it was Chicago, but it might've been the uh, Champaign-Urbana campus, they actually have a database. So this data from 2007 was compiled by the University of Illinois. And that includes literally a thousand mixes. And with each of those mixes, there are nine basic attributes, including all the components. So cement, slag, fly ash, superplasticizer, or coarse aggregate, fine aggregate, the test age that they're looking at, and the compressive strength that they're looking at. Okay, so then they compared that and they used data to look at, well, what is the CO2 footprint for each of those design mixes. And essentially what they did was they optimized based on all those attributes that they need for the data center, along with reducing the carbon footprint. Now, nowadays we would actually add other attributes. So we would look at things like the performance of the concrete. We'd look at things like how impermeable is it? And we might have that through um, rapid chloride testing we might look at what's the modulus of elasticity and that becomes an issue when you're talking about some high rise structures so those are those are additional attributes that you would add to a database but the point being once you have this data in place you can then use artificial intelligence to search out well what is the best solution for this particular application and you know what i want to be clear this has always been done, but the computers that used to do this, they were the people in the quality assurance or the quality control lab, or they were the people in the operations group. And they were looking at three ring binders full of different mix designs, and they were basing it on past experience. Well, that took, that took time, that took hours, it might take days. 
Nowadays, you're talking about fractions of a second. And nowadays, that's all done electronically. Hmm. And what's really interesting, I think, is that not only can you go back and look at the past history, the past mixed designs and performance, but now you can take that and say, okay, well, I've got this mixed design. I know it performed like this particular um, situation, and I've got this other mixed design. And it, so now I can come up with an actually unique new mix design that won't require nearly as much testing to get even more performance, even lower carbon footprint. So that's what Meta is doing with, again, a local ready mix concrete producer. It's a fascinating approach, but it's only the first step. And I'm really excited to see that because I think as people start to look at this, they're gonna realize, wow, this opens up a whole new world of optimizing concrete mixtures, not just for strength, not just for durability, but also for lower carbon footprint. So performance all the way across the board. I think it's interesting that this brings a lot of attention to the construction of a data center and the construction of more cloud storage facilities, because like you Kind of, kind of alluded to earlier in the warehouse construction, like all the Amazons needing all of their floors, massive and super flat data centers need it super flat and very environmentally controlled. And we right. all know concrete can do that. And right. if you put a artificial intelligence into there and say, give me as much thermal mass as possible, may, maybe this will spit out some more uh, information yeah, that we didn't know before? Yeah, exactly. So you can take advantage of these things. And look, it, so something as simple as, you know, you think about the data center. Well, concrete has a lot of water, right? It has more water than it needs. What happens to that water? So that's going to chemically combine initially, but you're also going to have some bleed water. That could be problematic when you're finishing a really super flat floor. Likewise, you're also going to have some moisture that's going to continue to migrate through the surface. That can be problematic when you're talking about really sensitive um, uh, data processing equipment. So again, that's one attribute we could put into, no pun intended, put into the mix to evaluate well, what kind of concrete mix do we really want to have? But what kind of performance do we really want to have? And oh, by the way, all these things we can do without sacrificing durability and, hey, without sacrificing the construction schedule. So we're optimizing all of these things across the board. You know, that particular database I mentioned, they've only got nine particular characteristics. Look, you could do 90, you could do 900 characteristics if you really wanted to. It's just a question of having the data. And what this example shows is that collecting that data, compiling that data really becomes a, an innovative way for, uh, for producers to solve the grand challenge of our time, which is global warming, right? Right. And again, it, it reinforces and feeds right into what our roadmap is all about. I, I wonder, wonder if, uh, Meta, Meta is going to name this special concrete mix 
something odd. <laughs> well, well, it's funny you mentioned that because, and I, I don't want to give out trade names, but actually the ReadyMix producer has trademarked lower carbon, some um, lower carbon concretes because they, they see that this is what the, the public is demanding. So, you know, the person who's putting in a driveway today, you know, maybe they don't think about that, but the person putting in a driveway tomorrow, they will think about that. Yep. Building owners, investors in particular, are really pushing this. They want people to look at the solutions that are available today. And this is all available today. This is a great place to take a break, actually. But don't go anywhere. We are not done. I'd like to thank Rick Bohan for taking the time to talk with us. But I hope you stick around for part two, because Rick and I continue our conversation. We talk about Brimstone Energy's carbon negative concrete block idea and what other concepts big tech is looking at in the cement and concrete industry. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe out there.